Greetings and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. I'm an author, coach, and healer. You can visit theandygrant.com to learn more about moi. Real Men Feel exists to remind men that they are human beings. They have the right to experience and express all of their emotions. We have conversations that most men are not having, but that all men can benefit from. You know, one of the most emotional relationships many of us have is with food. And that is often mirrored in a love-hate relationship with our own bodies. The best thing I did for my physical health last year was a program called WildFit. In late 2021, I went into a prolonged period of depression and misery. I gained over 30 pounds in just three months. Last summer, finally feeling better about myself and taking positive actions again, my weight was the final obstacle. That's when I discovered my guest, Eric Edmeads. Eric is a serial entrepreneur with experience including wireless networking, military research, and Hollywood film production. Today, Eric is a leading authority in behavioral change dynamics. He has created and consulted on some of the most effective, transformative, and highly rated educational products and live events in the world. Eric's dedication and passion for improving the quality of human lives across the world was the inspiration behind his flagship program, WildFit, globally recognized as the most effective health transformation program on the market. Welcome to Real Men Feel, Eric. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So the, I want to start. You do not call Wild Fit a diet. Why is that? Well, it's it's really a matter of grammar, frankly. Um, you know, with every uh, with every other species on Earth, we recur we, we we refer to their diet in a scientific sense. That you know, like an elephant has a diet. It eats about two hundred kilograms of grass and bark and and seasonal fruit, and it drinks seventy liters of water and that's its diet, and 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 a cheetah eats two point five kg, you know, kilograms of meat, fresh meat only. It won't eat dead meat. That's its diet. And leafcutter ants, well, they don't eat leaves, but the point is they have a diet, and it is only really humans that go on a diet. You know, we've we we do this with words every now and again, where we change the meaning of a word to suit some marketing trend. So diet went from a species way of life to temporary alteration to your normal day-to-day existence in order to help you squeeze into that dress for a special occasion, you know, and, and uh, it's, 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 um, it's not functional that, that use of the word diet. And by the way, there's only a few, like there's a few humans go on diets and our pets go on diets. And by the way, who are the sickest animals on earth? Us. Did you create wild fit because you had a challenge with your own, own weight or was it, was it something else that prompted you to do it? You know, um, I wasn't very uh, I wasn't very cognizant of weight as a problem. I was overweight, but you know, you know, body morphology is interesting. When you're hanging around with people, uh, you tend to get a sense of your weight relative to their weight. So, you know, if you're at a if you're at a county fair in Minnesota, looking like you or me, you'd feel pretty bloody thin. Let me tell you. But you know, the average person would walk around and they wouldn't feel particularly overweight because everybody is in that condition. And, you know, so I think that, it, you know, in my early 20s, I, I was overweight, but what I was dealing with that was more acute to me was a variety of really difficult symptoms. I had terrible allergies. If I walked anywhere near a cat or dust, I would, I, I, my sinuses would completely shut down. I had digestive problems that caused debilitating pain. Uh, my doctor had ordered me to have throat surgery. I, you know, I was like, I was really suffering a lot. I had terrible cystic acne. And so those things routinely sent me to doctors and, um, and those doctors routinely gave me pills and creams and inhalants and even injections and all kinds of different things. And nothing really worked for me until I revisited my relationship with food. So, and when I did that, 
all those symptoms went away, but I also lost about 35 pounds in the first month or so. And I wouldn't have said I needed to, but of course, once I did, I realized I did. Yeah. That's what I was really impressed about when I, when I first heard about this, that was that you'll get you, this, this, this program makes you healthier and, and it just happens to lose, you lose weight for a lot of people that do it. Yeah, it's it, it's a strange twist that it's maybe two orders of magnitude more effective at weight loss than any other quote diet that's ever been developed. And but it's not a, it's not a diet program and it's not a weight loss program. It's a lifestyle program. But of course, it plays into a very important principle. And that is that is, is, is when somebody develops a healthy lifestyle, which means being well nourished, but also running through proper seasonal change, when they go through these metabolic modes, then what happens is that they right size. And, it, and, and by the way, that means that our clients that are underweight gain weight, and that means that our clients that are overweight lose weight, and our clients that are already at a, at a normal weight end up changing their body composition to a healthier composition with a higher muscle and a lower, uh, you know, a lower fat level. Is, is what's unique about this compared to other diets is that it's it's not sort of this temporary thing well it, it, funny built into the question right it's it, it, we really it really is not a diet it's not it, it, it isn't a diet in the sense that it isn't a temporary thing that um, we're using a system called behavioral change dynamics and effective transformation so that what happens is as you know when you first of all the program is very sticky so when people listen to video one, they want to listen to video two, and they want to go to video three, and they want to talk to their coach. And so there's no, they don't have to pay attention. The, the it, You know, it's kind of like this, there are books that you have to like force your eyes down the page. And then there are books that pull your eyes down the page. Well, this program pulls you through it. And so that's a big part of it. But the other thing is, is that the the things that we do during the program create new neurology. And, and what that means is, is that it, it helps people reduce the dependency on, say, restriction and willpower, which is never going to work in the long term. And so what happens is when we poll people a year after they've done the program, some 80% of them report that they're still way on track. And even those that report that they're not, largely, mostly 90% tell us that they didn't go all the way back to where they were. They just didn't keep improving quite the way they wanted to, and they, and they could. So it's it's the, the whole point is, is that... Uh, the way um, the way a diet works is to give you a whole series of restrictive rules, many of which are counterproductive to the goal, all of which are designed to harm your self-esteem. And, and then you're supposed to use willpower to hold on to that. And then, of course, the average person can only do that. The average is six days. So the average person can only hang on for about six days. And then they relapse. It doesn't work. And what is the the food, what is the eating in the program based on? Right. Okay. So let's say this, that there, there are three, there are three aspects of, of WildFit that are all required for it to be this effective. Um, and one of course is like robust nutrition, you know, that that's, that's a key thing on well, one of our principles, we have a series of principles. And one of the principles is that um, your health is uh, um, more dependent upon and determined by you getting enough of your needs met than you eliminating things. So right away, you know, most diets, like they just go up to you and they rip your heart out of your chest. You got to give up all your favorite stuff. That's the first thing they open with. Well, that's going to be a problem for most people, especially when you get into the emotional linkages and the, and, and all the stuff they've gone through. So the, the, the first thing that we do is we focus on you know, improving nutrition and where are the nutritional knowledge comes from is uh, nutritional anthropology. It, it comes from human history. Um, food science these days is um, it's so flawed that it's, it's 
that it's irrelevant. In fact, no, irrelevant would make it um, isn't strong enough. It's dangerous. That's what it is. Irrelevant would be, oh, what? No, the food science that you largely read in the mainstream press today is actually dangerous. And I, I can just give you one example. I I read two conflicting articles in the Daily Mail that talked about the health or not of eating eggs. One article said that the eggs were healthy and would even help prevent diabetes. And the other article said that eggs increase the risk factor for diabetes. Now, this is insane. I, I So I decided to do, you know, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people get their education from the headlines, which is clearly a bad idea. So I decided to do something novel. I read the actual article and then I went even more novel and I read the study. And here's what I found out is that in the study, what they determined was that a, a percentage of the people in the study, there was, I don't know, 1,200 people in the study, it was done in China, and a percentage of them found that the consumption of eggs correlated with an increase in blood sugar. So somewhere between that and it appearing in this one of the most widely read uh, publications in the world, the editorial, the writer, the editorial staff moved it from correlates with an increase in blood sugar to creates diabetes. Like, uh, you know, whatever. But but then I went deeper into the study. And what I found deeper into the studies that it only happened with women. And that's odd. I mean, that's that's odd. So then I read the disclosures of the study. And in the disclosures of the study, they said that women on this study largely did not enjoy eating eggs in the form of scrambled, fried, boiled or poached and ate, and they consumed their eggs as baked goods, donuts, pancakes, cookies and what have you. And that correlated with an increase in blood sugar. And all of that gets translated into an article that says eggs cause diabetes. I, you know, so the, so food science today is and is absolutely bought and paid, paid for. Uh, half the time, some companies are paying to increase the demand of their food. The other half, they're paying very heavily to decrease the demand of the food they're competing with. So in this case, that article was almost certainly pushed ahead by somebody in the carbohydrate industry that wants to see people eat less eggs because eggs are so satiating that they that they're that they're you know that they want people to eat their eggs they want them to eat their carbohydrate products instead of eating eggs so we're in this game of risk where the food industry is fighting for our plate share all the time so i have a better question if you suddenly got yourself an exotic pet and you had to figure out what to feed it would you go to harvard uh, website or pubmed and look for the latest double blind study that was funded by a pet food company to figure out what you should feed your pet or would you watch the nature channel Right. You'd watch the nature channel within an hour. You would have a pretty good understanding of what your animal's lifestyle is because there it is in nature. Well, we have both present day hunter gatherer communities and we have the archaeological record. There is no question about the evolved human diet. There is no question. Anybody who wants to argue there's a question just doesn't know or well, they know and they have an agenda. So when we look at nutritional anthropology, we we're able to create a very good makeup of not only what we ate, but in roughly what ratios and also in what seasonal cycles we ate them in. And, and that that's where the nutritional underpinning of wild fit comes from. Then I've already hinted toward this. The second feature that's very, um, you know, that's unique and a big part of why wild fit such a differentiator is that we recognize that not only did our ancestors evolve to survive uh, seasonal fluctuation, but to utilize those seasonal modes, they are important to us. It's actually important to go through seasonal fluctuation. Uh, and, and, and when you fail to do that, you put your body out of balance. And then the third piece really has to do with the behavioral change, the psychology of it. Willpower alone is never going to get the job done. Neuro changing neurology has to happen and the program is designed to do that. Yeah. And it, it does that amazingly well. I, I don't know if there's a conscious gamification, but it, it was fun. 
Like every Friday, you call it enhancement day. And they're like, oh, what, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? And the community is excited to find out what the new thing is yeah. or if there's yeah. a new thing or whatever it might be. It, it was really interesting. And, you know, a lot of other programs make a big point of, of exercise as well. So how much exercise is required in WildFit? Well, frankly, no exercise is required. We we encourage people to undertake something that we call intentional movement, and that is to, you know, take extra steps and forgo the rock star parking and skip the elevators for the few floors and escalators and that kind of stuff. Um, and and you know, we also don't discourage somebody if they want to go out there and exercise unless they're a particular profile, which is to say that they're carrying, say, over about thirty pounds, and they really have uh, um, a, a, a fair bit of weight they want to release. And in that case, we'll often discourage them from doing intensive exercise, particularly if they're women, because they that increases cortisol production, which has the effect of, of potentially slowing down the weight release. The, the truth is, your body shape in terms of you know uh, releasing weight is. 95% food and 5% exercise. That 5% exercise is incredibly important, but if you do it in the wrong order, it's frankly dangerous. Yeah. That's one of the biggest pieces I took out of this. I had always, well, I, I, I want to lose weight. I'm going to exercise more and eat less and and nothing changed. Or sometimes even, I would even gain weight. So yeah. it, it wasn't until I realized I was, well, let me realize I was, I was putting my body into starvation mode. And my body yeah. was fighting to keep all the fat it could because it's like, what are you right. doing to me? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And 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 you know, the 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 diet industry on the whole, I mean, they ask people are calorie restrict. They don't understand that the metabolic response to calorie restriction is to hold on tighter, right? They ask people to count calories. Well, that is also stressful, and, and we're raising cortisol level. They ask people to weigh each other, weigh, weigh weigh themselves all the time. That's stressful. Uh, they ask them to do intensive levels of exercise, which most of them aren't in the physical shape to be doing, so they damage their knees and what have you. I mean, the, and and then on top of all that. They ask them to feel guilt and shame when they can't stick to the incredibly complex set of rules of the diet. And of course, guilt and shame are both food triggers. So the diet industry is basically designed to damage your self-esteem and trigger food cravings. Has it always been this way? Did, was there ever food marketing that was just accurate and trying to help consumers? Um, you know, I, I don't know that there's like one particular evil executive working at a soft drink company in Atlanta, Georgia. I, I, I just, you know, just randomly. I, I, but I, what I do think is that, um, you know, I, I think of it this way. I, I saw a comedian do this once. I wish I could give credit, but I'll just, I'll, 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 I'll just steal it and, and hope that somebody knows where it came from. But it's like, you know, you could get all angry and you could go, that's it. I'm so mad at what the food industry is doing. And they sneak sugar into everything and their manipulative marketing campaigns. I want to go to the food industry and I want to punch somebody in the face. Okay, who are you going to punch in the face? Are you going to go punch the girl at the retail or the boy at the retail counter who's was clearly not their fault? So you better go find the manager of the store. But it's a retail chain; it's not his fault. So now we got to go. Maybe go directly to the manufacturer. That's in Nabisco, and I want to punch them in the face. So I can't believe you're doing this to us. Only that person's just doing their job. That's the job they got. They're not. They're not evil. They're just hitting the target. So why are they doing it then? Oh, you know why? It's because of the CEO. That's who we got to punch in the face. We got to go punch the CEO in the face. We're doing it. Well, the CEO, though, is really just doing what the board told him to do or her to do. So what we got to do is go find the members of the board and punch all of them in the face, right? You know, they, you guys did this to us, you see, you board members at Nabisco. It's your fault. Only only the, the board members are really, they're really just trying to they're really just trying to do what the shareholders told them to do. So who are the shareholders? Well, the shareholders are 
the large pension funds that your and my parents have their pensions in. So we got to go punch our parents in the face. <laughs> you know, the, 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 what I'm trying to get at is that I don't think there's a, a, a specific evil person making this stuff happen. Um, and I think occasionally there are people that in, in the food industry that really mean to do good things. But if we take a look at like Kellogg's, for example, Kellogg's has, you know, uh, chemical materials that are in their food in America that they have acknowledged are bad and that they specifically cause problems with attention deficit. Like they've acknowledged that they then undertook to remove those things from their food. They missed their own deadline for removing them because a, they haven't found the right formulations to replace them yet with. Meanwhile, in the EU, Kellogg's make cereal there without those chemicals. Because in the EU, there are regulations that protect the citizens against that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I, it's it's hard to know exactly when all this started. But I, I will say this. It's not new. And it really comes down to you and me. Because if you and me, 20,000 years ago, were walking along and we returned to one of the camps that we as hunter-gatherers would occasionally return to. And we haven't been there for about two years. And we sit down and we look over and we go, oh, my gosh, what's going on over there? Like, what, Andy, there's, you know, that one fruit that we really like, it's growing right where you and I sat last year. Remember, we had the handfuls and we were eating. You don't think we did that, do you? I mean, something like that had to happen, right? At one point in time, some early human spotted the pattern. We throw the seeds there or we drop them or and they start growing along that path or in that spot. And the minute we spotted that, here's here's the next conversation. Well, Andy, since we now know how to grow food, should we grow the yummy sweet stuff or the green bitter stuff? And that's where it all went wrong. The minute we could start growing for pleasure. So you've mentioned just now eating for pleasure, but also the guilt and shame. are What are the most common emotional issues or resistance tied to food? Wow, there are, there are so many. Um, uh, they, they, you know, and, and really... It really all begins in childhood. Um, I'm sure you've seen this, but you've got a child, you know, uh, running down the street, trips, falls, lands, lands hard, looks up immediately for a parent. If it cannot find a parent and it wasn't hurt that bad, then what does it do? That child just gets up and keeps playing. But if mommy or daddy were nearby, you know, and a mommy or daddy being good parents would do anything to end their child's pain into cookie. And the minute they hand over that cookie, the child stops crying. So first of all, the parents learn, shit, that works well. And secondly, the child learns, oh, look, the cookie is related to love and healing and anesthesia. It neutralizes pain. And so now you wonder why at 45 years old, you walk in and buy a back box of Chips Ahoy and scarf the thing down. Well, because you're in pain. So the, there's, there's a bunch of those types of things. But then there's also the food industry that have very intentionally um, attempted to remove your capacity for conscious decision making by anchoring emotional states to their food you deserve a break today you deserve a kit kat i mean it was entirely about trying to get you to go right in and get their thing the minute you were on a break and 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 like let's be clear they 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 have the best marketers in the world because most of them are now owned by tobacco companies so you know those tobacco people they knew what they were doing manipulating i mean they were manipulating people into doing something that's obviously not a good idea, inhaling smoke. I mean, anybody sitting around a campfire knows inhaling smoke is obviously not a good idea. And they managed to trick the vast majority of the people at the time to do that thing. And once they had to move out of that, they moved and took those manipulative marketing and addiction programs and what have you and moved them into the food industry. So it seems we're 
at the mercy of unconscious parenting and very conscious and deceptive marketing. There you go. There you go. It's like, it's like, you know, uh, um, it, one of the, one of the ways to look at it is I often talk to parents and they're like, Oh, I don't really want to, I don't, you know, I, I don't like sales. I'm like, well, I'll tell you right now, the entire destiny of your children comes down to who, who's the best salespeople in their life. Cause the drug dealer down the street is a salesperson and they're going to sell them on the drugs and you got to sell them off the drugs. So you, you know, it, it, it really comes down to that. And the trouble is, is that most parents don't understand what's going on with the food industry and they don't understand like i i was really blown away i was in a restaurant with some very good friends of mine and this is some years ago now but we we're at this restaurant and they had a little boy and he was about two and a half or approaching three years old and the father ordered a coke which i just i forgot people did that i like i i forgot that people do that it's like sometimes i see people smoke and i go Oh my God, they still do that. I didn't know. I, 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 I've sheltered myself. But so he ordered a Coke and then he poured some of the Coke into a little glass and he handed it to his son at two and a half years old. And I'm like, hold on now. What is going on here? And then the kid wouldn't take it because kids typically don't like new things, right? So, so they don't like new things. That's, you know, so that's why it's hard to get them to eat broccoli because if they didn't grow up eating it, then it's new and they don't want to have it. So the kid doesn't want it. He goes, no, come on, give it a try, give it a try. And no kidding, the father took on the role of the drug dealer. Come on, kid, you're going to love it. You're going to love it so much. Give it a try. And of course, the kid does. And, <gasps> and there it is. The addiction's begun. Well, if it were me as a parent, I would have waited as long as I could for that introduction to happen. I wouldn't have forbidden it. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't work either. Forbidding it just activates the child's desire to rebel. What I would have preferred to do is wait until it was unavoidable because by the time it's unavoidable, the child has a better sense of consequences. You know, a four or five-year-old child can link up a temper tantrum with the Coke they drank an hour before. They, they can figure that out, but not if they were already addicted from two. I imagine that some people's fears around hearing a wild fit are that it's so restrictive I, I can't live my life. I can't go out to eat. I can't see people. I've just got to like lock myself at home and not touch all the evil foods in the world. What would you say? You know, to those people? I can tell you um, nobody who does wild fit says that it's the people who are thinking of doing it, who think it's a diet. And, and so then they, then they feel like that because diets have made them feel that way in the past. A huge amount of what we have to do in marketing is say, look, it's not going to be like anything you've done before. Like, it's just not, by the way, you tell me, on day one, when you showed up, didn't you think it was a, like it was so different than anything you'd seen before? You even questioned whether or not it was sane. Is that was that would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, it's that different. And so you know, it's it's when people say that, I, I have two different responses. One is you won't feel that way once the once you've gone through the program because you'll have new neurology about food. Um, and the other the other thing about that is that um, you know. Are you willing to walk into a restaurant and order the food the way you want to have it? And, and, and you know, because these days you, you go into a restaurant and most of the items on the menu, the way I look at a menu is a menu is a badly organized list of ingredients. <laughs> the menu shows you what the restaurant has and the way they'd like to serve it to you, but it doesn't really have to be that way. And then some people go, well, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to be that guy. And, you know, uh, uh, can I have it with this and without that and a little bit of this? And can you swap one of those? I don't want to be that guy. Well, you know what? That guy is way less likely to get diabetes. That guy is way less likely to have circulatory problems that result in amputation and you know vision loss. That guy is way less likely to get cancer. That guy is way less likely to have heart disease. That guy is way more likely to live into his old age and be able to play on the floor with his grandchildren because his knees still bloody work. That's who that guy is. And that has a lot to do with self-esteem. It takes self-esteem to walk in and, and, and have it the way you want it. It takes self-esteem to say to your friends, I'd love to come for dinner. You just need to know this is the way it is for me. That takes self-esteem. 
And a big part of what WildFit's about is building self-esteem. A big part of the diet industry is reducing self-esteem. And that's exactly what happens. Somebody goes on a diet, when they're done, they have less self-esteem than when they started. By the time you've gone through the first three weeks of WildFit, you feel better about yourself as a human being for ple- for a plethora of reasons, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of the elements that that I found unique to it were the the amount and level of coaching happening, the 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 full concept of, a, of being in a community. This isn't something that that you just like, oh, I'll start this by myself uh, at my own schedule. Like it, it's very organized and yeah. even, even again, it's ritualized with again, with that Friday waiting, what's next and what's Eric going to do to us now? And, you know, that sort of thing. But but again, I, 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 I found it just surprisingly fun. But the psychological aspects were were truly blowing out. Like I've done I've done lots of work, but I was still like shocked that every food that I have ever overeaten was a food that was a reward in my childhood. And I had never realized that until you asked me to look into it. Um, yeah. So it was little things like that that added up to big differences. And, um, you know, my program ended on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> what Jim was like, how are you going to do Thanksgiving? How can you do I'm like, well, well, we did it by having the healthiest Thanksgiving we've ever had in our lives. And it was it. And, and you it felt better the next day than anybody else did after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Normally, my normal Thanksgiving, we always host with everyone goes home and at midnight, I finish like five pies by myself as a as a penance, as a reward. And I feel gross for the next two or three days. That's my normal Thanksgiving. And that did not happen this year. And I did not miss it. And then December, we uh, we went to Las Vegas for for a wedding. And some of the marketing, you say you'll be able to withstand the most decadent um, buffets in Vegas. I'm like, oh, we're going to put this to the test. And yeah, it all looked gross to me. I was I was amazed. Um, I don't I I think our we were there for seven days. I think we had one dessert once at a really high end fancy place, not just eating like free ice cream bars and just stuff like that anywhere. So yeah. it it not only did it work during the program, you know you you you, you there's a way of living the program. So again, it's not this temp, it's a temporary thing kind of with with the structure, but then it it is really surprisingly easy to keep going. If I I know there are a lot of foods that you are not a fan of um if there if you had the power to remove one food or so-called fake food what would it be well you know it's it's sort of a funny thought exercise um because you know you could you could zero in on a particular food um uh that that was like the linchpin or the keystone ingredient that's in a lot of food you know you could say well like refined sugar for example um, but the truth is, I, 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 what I would do right now, if I really had the power to do it is I would just delete all breakfast cereal. Mm. I would just delete breakfast cereal because that's where a huge amount of the problem starts for children is that they're being fed dessert every day before they go to school. And we wonder why they have attention deficit problems. And we wonder why they have hyperactivity problems. Well, guess what? The number two ingredient on almost every breakfast cereal in the world is number is sugar. And that, and the only, and generally if it isn't number two, it's because it's number one. And then kids are sprinkling sugar on top of it often, you know, or honey or something like that. So I, I would I would eliminate breakfast cereal. I think Kellogg, uh, Kellogg did us, uh, I, I believe he think he was, I think he thought he was doing the right things and he had people going on fasting and all that kind of stuff. He was just heavily misguided. And and he and, and being as misguided as he is, he's now caused untold death and harm to hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And so I would I would remove breakfast cereal if I could do it. Yeah. And we m- mentioned all sorts of, health issues and diseases that come about from the eating the wrong things. So is it truly the most effective and cost-effective and uh, speed-effective way to eliminate disease by changing what we put in our bodies? 
You know, um, yeah, I, I, I can I can give you some sort of, I, I suppose, relatively hard evidence of that. You see, your body wants to be healthy. Everybody's body wants to be healthy. So your immune system, let me just back up for a minute. You don't have an immune system. Nobody has an immune system. There's no immune system. Your body is an immune system. Every, every part of your body is working to keep it healthy and heal it and protect it from pathogens. It's like, you know, the, the closest part of the, the one part of the body that you could kind of argue has the strongest role in, in say, being an immune system or the two parts would be your lymphatic system and your capacity for producing antibodies. But the truth of the matter is if you trip and fall and you start to feel tingling in your fingers, that's your immune system already preparing you for impact. You're producing co coagulants to stop you from bleeding before you've even been cut. Like the immune system is, is just phenomenal. Your body wants to be healthy. And so a really neat way to look at this is how long does it take to create type two diabetes? Well, at the level of seed oil and processed sugar and garbage production we were eating in the 70s, it took about 40 years. It took about now, now you can do it in 20 years, you know, but still it takes decades, right? It takes decades. How quickly can type two diabetes be reversed? Well, first of all, there are doctors who don't even know it can be reversed. They treat it like a chronic disease so they can subscribe you to medicine for the rest of your life. But the truth is it's reversible in the vast majority of cases and it can be reversed in six, eight, nine weeks. Like it can be done quickly. So if we were I, I've never thought of it this way before, but it just popped in my head. Let's think of it this way. If we thought of it like a scale, how much weight is on the scale that that it takes 20 years to create the disease? Only we how much we only have to put the slightest, slightest weight back on the scale and turn the whole thing around in six weeks. You know, anybody is only ever about six weeks away from returning around their diabetes. Why? Because the body was fighting the whole time. It was lifting this phenomenal weight saying, I can hold it. I can hold it. I can hold it. And all it needs for you to do is just take a little off. And then the body can go, I got it. I've got it. So, so what I would say is that anybody healing from anything, uh, injury, disease, I don't, uh, the first thing to do is to get your body's physical needs met. Good quality air, good hydration, sunlight, nutrition, and sleep. Take care of those things, and then your immune system is engaged, and magic can happen, and you can turn things around far more quickly than people even realize. Awesome. And then it may be that you still need medical intervention. I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying that what we do is we shortcut. Oh, I've, I'm carrying 40 pounds. I'll take Ozempic. Well, only if you want to take it for the rest of your bloody life, because the studies are showing you come off it and you put the weight back on or the vast majority of it back on and you put it on quickly too. the average person is only gaining gaining something like three pounds a year. We, you, but apparently, I think something like people on Ozempic put back 70 percent of the weight within two years or something. It's incredible. Guess what? Once you start taking it, you're supposed to take it for the rest of your life. Well, what if instead you just change your lifestyle? you know, and didn't have to be on that drug at $200 a month, plus the side effects. So uh, Eric, as the creator of lots of cool, beneficial things, uh, products, programs, companies, I wonder what, what, what are you most proud of? Well, I, I suppose you're asking professionally. I, you know, I'm, I'm most really, I'm most take proud of my it. children, but uh, yeah, take, take it how you take it, how it lands with you. I want, I want it to be your answer. There's not a qualification on it. 
Well, I, I, I'll go with, I'll go with professionally. The truth of the matter is, is that I am most proud of, of, of WildFit professionally. I, I've done some cool stuff in my life. Like I started a company that built hyper-realistic trauma simulators that won awards from the U.S. Army because we were doing Hollywood special effects and we took that tech over and we see, we literally saved lives. And I'm very proud of all that. But the thing with WildFit is, is that at this stage, maybe 100,000 people around the world have been through our core program. Over half a million people have been through our master classes. We've helped people lose millions of pounds. We've helped thousands of people reverse type 2 diabetes and push a variety of other diseases into remission, get off chronic medications, and massively enhance their quality of life. And we're only at the beginning of that cycle. And the joke of it is, I started as a hobby. I, I, I really, like, I started as a hobby, and it's been my most successful business by far. Wow. So I, I imagine that has you looking closer at other hobbies you have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pretty much everything I do now is a hobby. So that's yeah. the good news. Cool. Awesome. So, so Eric, what's the best way for people to learn more about WildFit? Well, getwildfit.com is our website. Obviously, that's a great place to start. Um, we even have a Try WildFit uh, uh, program where people can do the first two weeks of the program and onboard themselves. And um, and and that's really, really a nice way to put their toes in the water. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram. I, I manage my own Instagram. It's not an agency. It's me. And it's uh, at Eric Edmeads. And uh, yeah, I think that's those are the best ways. Awesome. And uh, I just want to stress to everyone listening, um, I paid for the program. This wasn't some like, oh, you have come on my podcast if I can do the program for you. It wasn't like that. Like I, I invited Eric on. I want to have a conversation about this because I was so impressed and blown away by the program and the results. And well, I'm, what am I, five months removed from it? And I think I'm three pounds above where the, that Thanksgiving morning when, uh, when after my 90 days. What was your net change, uh, you know, from the beginning of the program? Oh, it was just under 30 pounds. 30 like, pounds. Yeah. It was like 29. It's really, easy to it's really easy to discount that, but you're talking about like, if you ever, if you ever, if you ever find yourself like it wasn't that big a deal, go take a backpack, stick 30 pounds in it, carry it around for the day. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's and a serious again, thing. more than the number is how, like, I've never felt as healthy. Like I, yeah. you know, I'm living on these. The, the program's over. I'm still living on the, the vegetable concoction that, that you'll be introduced to if you do the program. And I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> but again, thanks, Eric, for joining us. Thanks for everything that you're doing. Uh, thanks for everyone me. tuning listening. Please visit Real Men Feel. See the blog post for this episode. We'll have all the links to various resources discussed. Wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, please give a subscribe, like, follow, share. Uh, send this, this show to someone that would benefit from it. You can always reach out to me at realmenfeel at gmail.com. And if you're not yet in the Real Men Feel private Facebook group, you can join us there too. Visit realmenfeel.org group. And until next time, be good to yourself.